0: So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy today's guest. Success is a process, not an event. Hello and welcome to Fire in the Belly. Today we have myself, Mighty Pete, and we are joined by the Daryl Williams. Good afternoon, sir. Good morning, Ed.
1: Yeah, yeah. Good afternoon. It's uh, afternoon for me here and uh, probably a little even, early evening for you, right?
0: That's it. It's all we're going across the Atlantic again. So it's listen. Uh, it's great to have you on the show, Daryl. You're you are a podcaster, so you get the background. You understand what this is all about, right? So it's uh, we're going to understand more about that. So it's great to have you on.
1: Just Thank to give you for our having
0: me great. So give our listeners a bit of a background. So Daryl Evans is a serial entrepreneur, an investor, and co-founder of Yucl Local Internet Marketing. He and his team have helped entrepreneurs and companies to generate three hundred million in revenues online since 2011. He's personally started and or operated six businesses since the age of 20, and he only looks 21, by the way, for those listeners, so we all good. <laughs> He's also the host of the Mindset Shift podcast, which launched in 2019 and is the founder of the Mindset Shift, Mindshift Business Academy MBA. He is passionate about entrepreneurship. When he appears on podcasts, he loves sharing about the lessons, mistakes, and breakthrough frameworks that have helped him and hundreds of other people market business uh, profitably grow sales predictably and build superstar teams his goal is to help your entrepreneurial audience grab at least one mindset shift and that catapult them into the next level of success daryl Wow, what an introduction. You are the man to know, so thank you so much wow. for having me on the show.
1: Wow, Pete, I didn't think you were going to read the whole thing, but good Lord, I got a lot to live up to now.
0: <laughs> you do, you do. This is this is what it's all about. So tell us, first of all, we're going to go straight in the deep end. What What is your fire and the belly, though?
1: You know, my, fan, my fire and the belly is kind of maybe a bit esoteric, and that is just to really, as I meet people and throughout this life journey, I, I've wanted to make sure that I've in some way shape or form left them better than they were when we met and that's not to say they're all a, a mess when we meet but i'd like for them to say that man that guy daryl he's all right dude you know that's it's a simple it's a low bar to set but i think it sets the tone for how i want to show up in the world and how i want to interact with people and treat people fairly with you know equality and and empathy and and really just uh share this uh, human experience that we're all a part of
0: so what's your superpower then Do you know
1: I, you know, I depends on what genre or or space, but I I try to say that empathy is probably one of them. I I try to approach situations, understanding all sides of the equation, uh, parties to the situation, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, It's something that I've developed over the years. I don't think I've always had it, but I think the more you live, the more experience you have, the more you realize there are differences um, from everyone's perspective. And I think perspective is 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 a component of someone's um you know environment upbringing walk in life experiences pros cons wins losses and i think it all matters and um just trying to understand where someone might be coming from as it relates to the outcome that we're working towards uh whether it's relationship or business or you know parenting i mean all of that stuff so um that might be it
0: do you think i mean perspective i mean i'm, I'm maybe going with you know are uh, are people born or are they made you know, what is it, you know, and and do those perspectives and experiences make you who you are, do you think?
1: Interesting uh, point. Interesting question. I I think I've wrestled with that question a lot. I mean, I'm an entrepreneur and, you know, the question floats out there in the entrepreneurial world, are entrepreneurs born or made? And uh, I don't know that I was born an entrepreneur, um, but I, and I do believe that there are a lot of aspects of my entrepreneurial journey where I have been made in a sense, but I think that there are some unique gifts that we were all given at birth or we came into this world with. Uh, And I think I call that uh, someone's superstar DNA and I call that definite natural ability. I talk a lot about that in my world of mind shift. And so definite natural ability simply means at some point in our run, whether we're young or old, we find something that we just seem to be able to do naturally, instinctively, without thinking that in a way wasn't taught. You know, you may add layers to it from a technical or structural standpoint, but I think if we're if we're paying attention to our own behavior and our own psyche and our own instinct, I think we all were born with something, and in some cases, I think that leads us to where we're willing to add layers to it with structural, with teaching, with coaching, and with you know, with um, processes that help us excel.
0: What's what's your zone of genius then? I mean, are you sort of a, up on stage? Are you sitting in a quiet room? What, where is your zone of genius then? Where do we see the best of Daryl?
1: You know, it's interesting. Teaching. Uh, for me, it's it's teaching. It's communicating complex ideas or seemingly complex ideas. Uh, and the only reason why something's complex uh, to someone else where it's not to someone who's teaching is a simple fact that the other person just doesn't have the information yet in a manner of clarity that they can understand. And so in my world, I love breaking down complex uh, content or or topics in a way that helps them get a breakthrough. And that breakthrough is what I like to call an aha moment. Like when they start saying, ah, I get it. You know, I love that moment. I love that moment in the work that I've done. I've learned, I've learned, I've loved it in mindset and in growth. And even when we make mistakes, I love the, oh, that's what went wrong idea, right? And so I love that uh, kind of aha moment and teaching through that where uh where I spend most of my time.
0: Wow. Well, give us a bit about your background then. I mean, you're sort of saying serial entrepreneur, investor, there's there's a load going on there, but start us off initially. What was what was mini Daryl like? What sort of a what sort of chapel we have met there? Yeah, you meet me in my
1: teens. I'm I'm uh delivering newspapers at 13. Uh, trying to put money in my pocket shortly thereafter I'm I'm a fry cook at Taco Bell here in the United States uh franchise and um shortly thereafter though I'm I'm uh, selling now and later's in, 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 in as a junior in high school from our locker with a buddy of mine we would buy from what is today's Costco or Sam's Club uh you know or whatever it is in the Is that cuz you had to? Is that cuz you wanted to? Wanted to. It was it was uh it was an it was an acknowledgment that the uh, price of the now and laters at the snack shack in the school were whatever they were we're going to say a dollar for today and then the idea that oh if we go to this little store called smart and final which is like a costco today oh i can buy eight of those for two bucks (laughs) interesting so you're telling me they're charging a buck and we can go get them for 25 cents net. Like, I was good at math. I got a degree in finance. And even back then, math was my favorite subject. So it didn't take me long, Peek, to figure out the math. And so anyway, a buddy of mine, we decided, well, let's go buy them and sell them from our locker. Now, in Las Vegas, uh, it's it gets pretty hot in Vegas, right? So we're not the, the coolest place on the planet. So selling candy bars, you know, that would melt, that's not gonna work, you know? So it became a... So we were selling now and laters. Now and laters with these little so- sour tart, hard candies that just held up during the heat.
0: (laughs) So you've one, you found something with that sort of ideal sort of 20% cost to, to, you know, sort of retail That's perfect. That's great. You've got a product that doesn't, isn't affected by the environment. You can stock them up. They're small enough and all the rest. So you, you've kind of identified a really niche product and you've got a, a willing audience, right?
1: yeah i mean it was everyone you know i really don't remember how much money we made i don't even know if that was the key but we would take the the now and later to school and obviously tell someone we had them at the locker and so if they wanted them on break they'd come by and i don't even remember what we charged but that was that was just a little you know i love what jim Rohn says and he's i heard it years many years later but um he said you know profits are better than wages and so That was one of those things. Now I didn't become an entrepreneur at 16 or 17. I mean, I did start my first business when I was 20, when I was in college, but that's who I was. I was, you know, at that same time, I'm working at Taco Bell and and I'm a fry cook. And soon, sooner or later, uh, they gave me keys to a restaurant. So I became a general manager, uh, not planned by the way, but I guess I've always believed in showing up and doing the best work you could. So it's a concept I call prosper where you're planted. And so, you know, they started seeing some things in me and before you know it, I decided my sports career was not going to continue after high school, which I played baseball and football. I knew it wasn't going to continue after high school, and so I decided to stay home and go to school, and uh, ended up taking the promotion, and that was uh, another great opportunity and journey for me over the next seven years, uh, so from 20 to 20, maybe 19, 20 to 26, um, but along that, time, that same time, the entrepreneurial thing was pulling at me, so I had started a business in college, uh, also retail, if you will. Uh, Starting selling sportswear hats shirts t-shirts the, the whole bit out of the trunk of my car at uh, at a local swap
0: meet you, you like to sell stuff out of weird places <laughs>
1: <laughs> you, you picked, a- picked up <laughs> on that huh pete
0: <laughs> yeah now i sell it weird on the
1: internet you know that's another weird place too you know, so now everything is on the internet
0: <laughs> so it's i love this i mean it's i mean uh you know, people sort of sometimes shy away from the likes of the franchise stuff, you know, but at the same time, it's an, it's an amazing structure, isn't it? It's, it's sort of, an, there's a blueprint to follow. And that, I do think that is quite a useful thing for anyone to understand business principles and scale, right?
1: I think you, you know, Pete, I reflect back on my years at Taco Bell and I would say that there are so many, I, I've said this on other shows, I learn more about the function the operation, the structure, the process, the systems, the accountability, the development of team members, the uh, ability to empower others to do the work, to delegate. You know, as I grew through that journey, they they allowed the uh, they allowed the pathway for me to grow through understanding a P and L and understanding how it worked twenty four hours a day, and I was responsible for it twenty four hours a day. I remember getting a phone call or I had to have a phone call at seven, seven 30 in the morning. And I had reporting, I had to report on daily numbers on three to six, 10, three to six key items. And I don't remember exactly what those KPIs were now, but if I fast forward 20 years now, 30 years later, I'm a KPI driven guy. Where did I get that from? You know, I did play sports. And so things matter. The numbers matter in sports. Um, and, i just think it was a nice evolution for me i always say that sports influenced my entrepreneurial journey as well as my time at taco bell even though i didn't own the taco bell it just all of it added together and again it goes back to what i said earlier when you start to figure out who you are instinctively and then you start to layer on those levels of learning and training and coaching and mentorship you start to really just figure out what feels good for you and I operate from a feeling place, meaning if I'm stressed or frustrated, then I know that there's something I'm doing that's outside of my gift. And it it means I need to look for help. Or I need to look for some coaching or some learning. And uh, so anyways, it was a wonderful time. Um, obviously not all roses, of course, you know, as challenging as some of those years were, but yeah, laid a great foundation for me uh, where I'm at today.
0: Well, what was your drive there? I know we're sort of laboring on this slightly, but for some people, it's not about the money. It's about the achievement. It's about the progression. It's about whatever. It's not the the money. It's it's nice, but it's not the key driver. Do you, do you remember what your key driver was at that time?
1: Uh, during the time at Taco Bell? Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, arrogance, <laughs> as silly as it sounds, Pete, you know, I'm 20 years old and I'm running a restaurant. And, you know, for, for those years, whatever that year was, I'm thinking 92. Um, I'm making pretty good money at at 20 years old. I mean, that's pretty good. You know, it was pretty good money. I mean, I don't care. People say I was fast food. It doesn't matter. It was good money. And so there was a little bit of arrogance in, in that accomplishment. But on the flip side, what drove me though, was, um, trying to be the best that I could be. And that kind of maybe was a driver from my sports days. Um, I was an undersized athlete in terms of football. I played outside linebacker. I'm five, eight. That's not going to get you to the pros more than likely. But I, I I just learned how to do the basics I learned how to do the basic skills I learned how to be disciplined in my approach and so I think that passed on to the time at Taco Bell and then when I became a general manager I had to learn how to I had to new I had to learn the new understanding of discipline and the approach because from being a fry cook in the back of the room to becoming an assistant manager to becoming a general manager there was a transition that I struggled with and that was, being responsible for an eight hour window of time on my shift to being responsible 24 hours and not being the doer of all things, I had to be the encourager, the trainer, the empowerer of the rest of my team and staff, the developer, if you will. And so I got some early lessons there after I had some early failures, of course. And, uh, but I think for me in those years, it was, it was always success, but it was kind of success. I didn't, I didn't want to fail. I didn't want to fail. And, um, Interestingly enough, I played on a lot of failing sports teams growing up. I actually only played on two really highly successful teams from the time I started playing ball when I was seven years old. So between baseball and football, and I don't know, I think some of this maybe led to my drive, but it wasn't until a couple of years in high school that we had a successful football team and uh, otherwise teams were fairly mediocre. So I think I learned how to lose and I learned how to still show up on Tuesday for practice and give it another go and fight through the disappointment and the letdown and the not getting the trophy or not reaching the ultimate prize and i think as an entrepreneur we're always in that evolution of wins and losses like we always have them to think uh, otherwise is naive we never as an entrepreneur get a chance to just be comfortable um, at any given time because the business has thousands of things happening all at the same time and any one of them uh, can go wrong and often is wrong there's never usually a time when when everything is 100% right
0: mm. there's I mean there's so many things you brought up there it's amazing stuff and I just want to separate because you called it arrogance there can you separate ar- <laughs> you go <from> for me <laughs> <laughs> yeah when you're 20 and you
1: get keys to a store you know there's a bit of arrogance that comes along with that right I mean you got to be careful you know, you, you you feel good about yourself for the accomplishment, uh, but it goes to your head pretty quick. You know, it can get to your head pretty quick. You know, there were most of the people in the store were older than me. And, you know, we had a lot of people that were younger than me, of course, uh, as you might know about fast food restaurants, they run with young staff most of the time. But, um, you know, I just think it it was a natural window of time. And that's why I probably struggled for the first couple of years thinking that I was better than I was. And, you know, so you have to have a piece of humble pie at some point. Uh, and I believe that it was, you know, and I've said this other times as well, my, my district manager at the time, who was my direct supervisor, she gave me a lot of grace. Uh, she was patient with me. She coached me and counseled me, gave me room to fail, but at the same time didn't let me fail my way out of the world. Right. And there was a day, I I can't remember the day and how far into the, the run it was, but I remember a conversation when I think it finally clicked and, and she, she said some things and, and, and from that point forward, I think it was a shift for me, you know, using the word mind shift, which is my brand now. But, um, yeah, I I was arrogant. I'm not going to be foolish about that. I was arrogant outside the restaurant too, in other areas of my life that caused me some hardships. So I think when you have early success, when you're young, you got to be super careful with what it does to your mind. And, uh. Because it can, it can make you act in some ways that are just not congruent with who you think you are or what you really want the world to know of you.
0: But neither of those are who you are. That's, that's I mean, it's interesting there. You're what you want the world to think you are.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, and, and even who you think you are. It's like, but that, is that not different to who you actually are?
1: I don't think, I, yeah, I think uh, you become more, you, you figure out more about who you actually are as you grow and I think you know that started really becoming clear to me in my 30s as far as really understanding like you start asking that big life question like why am I here right when you start asking that question I don't know that I'm asking that in my early 20s right you know I'm here I'm you know you could you tell yourself all kinds of things when you're succeeding in a, in a particular arena and you're not as worried so much about that sort of why I'm here not so much um, you know, from an esoteric or life vision standpoint, I really started getting serious about that in my early thirties. But, um, but now I think there's always this aspect that people want to be seen on the outside by uh, others. Uh, and I think it's one of the challenges of, especially today now with social media, we all want, um, it's just one of those core life needs, right? We all want, uh, affirmation and we all want, um, others to think highly of us. And I think, I think deeply that's something that all of us want. Um, the question is, is what are you willing to do to get it? And what are you, um, who are you being dishonest to in your, in your quest for that applause, right? What are you doing in, in, in that? And so sometimes you do things and you go a little further than you'd like to go. And then you hopefully have that, um, that real back moment when, when you haven't hopefully destroyed your life. Uh, Will Smith, as a recent example, we, <laughs> we, we can think back just a little short while ago how Will Smith, who's had as much character and charisma and charm and publicly uh, poise, lose it. And he had, he had a, a moment and he lost it. And uh, not to uh, go back and revisit that and judge it, we all were witnesses of it to an extent, whether you saw it live on the show or you saw the replay. And I think we all have our moments where we have a Will Smith moment, and I'm not trying to make him a meme out of this, but it's, it's a great example of how someone works hard to carry themselves in a certain way and can find, have a trigger, a triggering event, I like to call them, and, and do something just straight stupid. And I've had multiple moments where as much as I've wanted to carry myself in a certain way, uh, have a trigger or a triggering event and, and, uh, you know, and, and you have to deal with those consequences.
0: Do, do you think that's more powerful to actually sort of identify and even display your weaknesses as much as your strengths? Because I mean, is there as much, if not more power on, on the, you know, on your weaknesses side, on your negative side as such?
1: I'm a big believer in transparency of, of your negative ideas. I don't know that I would, I'd say that today as a 52 year old, more so than I probably thought about it in my twenties, And even maybe in my 30s, you know, I've I've uh, I've recently in the last several years, especially since having the podcast, been very open about some of the challenges of my life and some of the reasons why I've pivoted and the way I've done things and how I've had to get focused and um, but I think it's every individual's thought process and decision on how they want to show up and Sometimes there's just a ton of fear of judgment, fear of ridicule, um, and that's one of those things where I've I've grown through a level of maturity where, if you don't like me at my worst, then there's no you will never you know be around me at my best, um, and that's been really evident in my entrepreneurial journey. As as you make decisions as an entrepreneur to say no to some things and say yes to other things, and some of those no things are I'm not going to that party or I'm not hanging out with this crew anymore or those kind of things, you, you start to have friction, right? Because now people think, well, you know, you're an entrepreneur, So now what are you better than us now? Because you, you know, and it's, no, it's like, I'm focused on these outcomes. I'm focused on these goals. And so anyway, there's a lot of, a lot of things that happen in that, um, in that, in that realm, but as far as weaknesses, I absolutely believe there's, there's so much in, 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 in weakness and, and in fail failure or setback. I like to say setback and breakdowns as opposed to failures. Cause failure is simply only when you just quit. On the thing that you're trying to do,
0: mm. I mean, you know, as people talk about, you know, their darkest hour is their brightest moment, right? You almost have to go to that break point. I mean, do you is that being the case for you? And do you believe that is the case for many?
1: I'd never suggest that you. <laughs> I'd never suggest that you purposely cause a breakdown in your life. I, <laughs> I would. I would tell you. Um, I, I would never want someone to just purposefully cause turmoil and uh, emotional heartache and not only pain personally but pain to others in your actions in order to find a lesson however it just seems like the longer i live the more i recognize that if we're moving forward we are going to inevitably stumble and we are inevitably going to end up in a place where we are going to learn the most from some of our biggest mistakes and you know here there's a saying that says you know your mess is your message and I I just wish it wasn't the case. I wish we didn't have to make a mess, but I just don't know that the universe and God had that set out, right? I think there's something to be said from uh, us having to stumble and fall. Uh, there's a book that I read, and, and it says, that a just man falls seven times, but gets back up. So I wonder if, if that is true. That means we're, we're going to have to have some failure. We're going to have to have some setbacks, and we're going to have to eat some dirt. And um, unfortunately, figure out, well, how did I end up here? That's one of my favorite phrases. And not because I love to be in bad situations, but if we're able to ask the question, how did I get here? Mm -hmm. And let's say that place is a place you don't want to be. That question can begin the path of discovery, at least in my world, um, to find answers to what did I do to get here? And I have this one saying, Pete, that, and, and really, it was a hard lesson for me, because a lot of times we blame, we point fingers, we like to look at external reasons why we might be there, in a negative situation, let's say. And often, and this was what was told me, and it, had to, it took a minute for me to process it all and let it sink in, but it was so true. And he said, whenever your life was messed up, you were there. Whenever your life was messed up, you were there. So well, this person hurt me or stole from me or robbed from me or did me wrong. But you were there, right? And it took me a while to really grasp the understanding of that. And it goes back to earlier decisions in our, in our journey, whatever led to that place where they were in our world, our ability or inability to see the signs. And so it's like really coming back to own that responsibility for all things in our life. And not a lot of us want to take ownership to that. And so it's been a hard responsibility to what I call leadership and growth mentality to really figure out what role did I play? Even if I'm quote unquote, the victim or quote unquote, the person who was wronged. What role did I play to end up in that space where I was with those people or person or whatever the thing is that didn't go right? what role did I play and back it all up to that. And so I've, I've, it's a hard conversation, but leaders understand that it's the truth. Like you have a responsibility to leading yourself into that place where things didn't go well. And, um, I face this all the time. I mean, I wish I could say I wasn't an active participant <laughs> in this Pete, but that's the, the truth of the matter, right? When you're trying to do things, you're, you're pushing, you're in relationships, you're in partnerships, you're in, uh, arrangements, contracts. Everybody else has an agenda. And the question is, is how can you figure out if, if yours aligns with theirs? And sometimes you can't tell. And sometimes you could have told you, you could tell, but you ignored the, the sign.
0: Well, going through that process, I mean, what, what have you learned about yourself? Hmm. <laughs> I've
1: learned that I really give people the benefit of the doubt, probably far longer than I should and I know that uh, some of your listeners may resonate with that. I I am just this eternal optimist that people are going to do the right thing. And, and I'm not sure I'm ever going to change that, Pete. I'm not going to change my internal belief holistically that people are likely going to do the right thing. The vast majority of people are going to do the right thing. And so, so that's probably one thing I've learned in, in all of my, um, is I, I give people the benefit of the doubt and, and sometimes it, it, it burns me. It, I end up, end up on the burn side of it. But again, that's me, uh, almost contradicting what I said earlier, which is being mindful of how did I end up in that space because I give the benefit of the doubt. Sometimes I trust a little bit more. I, I'm, I'm a little bit less, uh, attuned to the signs and, um, you know, I've had to uh, adjust as time has gone on. But uh, what it has done, Pete, though, is made me a better decision maker in the sense of saying no, uh, where a lot of entrepreneurs and leaders, we say yes to a lot of things. We, we, we look at opportunity, we're opportunists. And in a lot of cases, I've become more sensitive to uh, opportunity costs and realizing that, um, I guess the best way to say it is I have a kind of a newer decision model and it's kind of like hell yes or no and the distinction is hell yes and it's like you can't say yes to all things so there's good opportunities but is it a hell yes opportunity well i'm sorry if hell is cuss word for your show i apologize um but that's kind of how i start to run things out because I get a lot of requests not because I'm some mega superstar but you know when you own a business and you're called an investor and you've done a few things and you got a podcast like you have lots of requests come through and so the question now is is this a hell yes or is it just a a medium yes because my calendar only has so many hours on it (laughs) just like we all have right so there's some protection of that decision process but that's sort of you know, maybe one of the things I've learned and how I've maybe adapted, uh, to where I'm at now.
0: What, what sort of stage did you get to saying that, that decision, you know, that decision gate, you know, and like enough of trying to do everything, enough of trying to say yes to everyone, enough of trying to please everyone saying, now's the time. Let's do this for Daryl. The hell with everyone else. It's Daryl time. And, and, you know, was there a defining moment or is it just something that's, that's built up?
1: It has been building over the last 12 years since we started the marketing agency. In fact, part of the reason I left the prior career was because I didn't sense that the 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 model of the way the industry ran was going to change in a sense that would change some of the things that bothered me about it. And so while we're always deciders of our future, and deciders of our next actions, and deciders of our ultimate destiny, I started the process around when I was 40. And as the years have gone on, I've gotten better and better at recognizing when I'm maybe going a little too far. Here's a perfect example. You know, I went to university and uh the business school from the university reached out and my company had already been a a corporate I forget the right phrase for it, but we had done some some um uh like or in-kind work as we call it, meaning we did some work for the for the university, and so we were already a part of the uh, um, program that um, where donors are hanging out and all the fancy people you know, <laughs> that give all the big money. So we're a part of that group. Well, then it, I guess somehow an invitation for me to join the board uh, circulated to me, and I was invited. At the same time, I was also invited to join a. A committee for a nonprofit and run the marketing for this nonprofit, and at the same time, I had you know, so I had a lot of things coming at me, and I'm thinking they all sound great. But it was one of those times, and this is probably five years ago now, where I sat back and I said, you know, they all sound great, and I I fall back on a conversation in my head that goes like this: If I say yes to this, whatever this is at the moment. If I say yes to this, will it compromise my ability to be at my best for anything else that I've already previously committed to? And so that's sort of how I make the decision now. It's like, okay, I've got the invitation. Great. But if I say yes to this, even though it looks good, sounds cool, could be a great opportunity, is this going to compromise my ability to be excellent at the things I already said yes to? Because someone else asked me to do something and I agreed. But is this now going to infringe on my ability to deliver at a high level? And I'm a high quality performance guy. Anybody who hangs around me long enough knows I, I just, I'll work until it's, I'll work until it meets the, you know, I just don't satisfy, I'm not satisfied if, it, if it's anything in my world comes out low quality. So, and I lose my sleep over. Well, that's how I started making decisions. So in turning down opportunities sometimes today, the answer is simply no, because it will compromise my ability to deliver on the commitments I've already made. And that became the filter. And that had to do with me sitting on the board, which I'm now a chair of, of a charity, not the same ones we're talking about. Uh, but a, a good friend of mine is the executive director of, of a, of a nonprofit does great work. I support the work. I believe in the work, but when he asked me to join the board, I had to say no. Fast forward two years later, I'm on the board. Fast forward two and a half years later, I'm the <laughs> the, the chair of the board. <laughs> so you know, so it's just being mindful of where are you able to show up, and so. It, but I think, Pete, it comes down to what is your decision framework, and um, is there a leveraged way for you to deliver without compromising your your yourself and and your commitments. And so, I think a lot of us you know, we all talk about burnout, you know, we talk about being overwhelmed and I'm very mindful of that state. And so when I start to feel it, then, uh, it's time to, to lighten up on some of the commitments.
0: What's some of your non-negotiables?
1: Personal time in the morning, two hours ish. Uh, what does that look like? Uh, generally speaking, I wake up. So I, I, I wake up without an alarm clock. I decided to do that. That was also a non-negotiable for me. I just got tired of it. Um, I decided that my mornings and my days would operate in certain windows, and so one of them is wake up without an alarm clock, whatever that means. It happens to be that your body figures it out, and so I tend to wake up 5.30 to 6 in the morning most days. Um, every now and then, I'll force myself to sleep in if I've had a long week uh, on a Saturday, and for the first two hours, email, and no, no one else's inputs are are allowed to come into my world, meaning I'm not allowed. There's no way someone's email, phone call, text message, email inbox on social media. No one gets input in my world for two hours. It's just the way it works. My team knows that if there is an emergency and there's a small definition of an emergency in my world, right? So that's the other side of it, right? What defines an emergency? (laughs) So, so, and the reality is there just aren't any, like there just really aren't any, um, that can't wait two hours. And so that personal time is me meditating, uh, reading a good book or reading something, listening to a podcast, listening to some information, sometimes just doing nothing but thinking and writing ideas down, thinking through a problem that I need to solve and just letting ideas flow. Sometimes it's sitting on the, on the backyard just drinking a cup of coffee and listening to the birds and the palm trees. It, it's my time and exercise is another part of that, stretching and making sure my body is, is in optimal shape. And so that's one of the non-negotiables that I've built into my life. Another one is not taking meetings after 3 p.m. in the afternoon for me, ever. Just doesn't happen. Now, people say, well, so when do you take meetings? Well, I take meetings from 9 a.m. till 3 p.m. And that means there are days when I'm back to back to back to back to back with sometimes no white space. I like to call a calendar the white space. And I'll, be, I'll choose to do that on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Another sort of non-negotiable is no big, big commitment decision meetings on Mondays and Fridays, generally speaking. So it's just those kind of things, right? Those are the. what do you want your life to look like? What do you want your business to look like? I don't think enough people put into perspective the fact that they control it all. Right? You just say yes and you say no, but you decide. I'm a big believer in deciding. And so when I transitioned from my prior business into the company we run now, it, it was a decision of what did I want my life to look like and then what kind of business will serve that, right? Because the life part matters. The business, anybody can, I mean, I hate to say it, but business is not that complicated. I mean, it is, but it isn't.
0: <laughs> it's as complicated as you choose to make it, right?
1: It is, it is. I mean, it. You know, literally, I mean, I left a business when I was successful. I left the business and it was because I just couldn't, I, I made a decision about what I want my life to look like and that business model didn't work. Mm. It just didn't work for me at that point. I was making good, I was making great money. I was doing fine. I was, you know, I made a conscious decision over about 12 to 18 months. What do I want to do from here? And, you know, and so I think that's something that a lot of us have control over that we just don't stop sometimes and think some people would never have walked away from the money I walked away from in that, in, in that scenario to start all over from scratch to build something else. That was actually harder to be quite honest. (laughs) <laughs> to build something harder and to go back and start from scratch, why would you do that? Well, because my life plan mattered more than the business. Period. What mattered to me in my personal life, my family life, my time life, my spiritual life, my—it mattered more than the money. Some people they chase the money and they let their life fall apart at other other places. And I just got crystal clear when I was 35, working with a business coach, had a great coach. We're still friends to this day. We talk a couple times a year. And once he had me do that work, like from that point forward, nothing's changed in how I think about what I want things to look like. And, and the, and, and it's not, by the way, had nothing to do with how much money I wanted to make. Right. None of the work had anything to do with how much money, how successful quote unquote. It was like, what do you want your life to look like? Design that. Let's design that. Uh, one of the hardest pieces to that, Pete, was writing the eulogy or writing what writing the words of what my top ten people would say if I had died. So uh, at your funeral, so the ten closest people, what would they say about you? What do you want them to say about you? Doing that work, oh boy, you want to talk about some tissues needed. Um, and when you start writing that down, it isn't well. He was worth X millions. You know, it wasn't he owned two hundred. Con- it wasn't, none of that. None of that was what they talk about. So is it important to the, to, you know, the world operates around money. So I get it, but that's what became my, 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 uh, my foundational thought process didn't make, doesn't make me perfect. Doesn't make anything go every, you know, cause short, three short years later, the real estate industry happened. I was in the mortgage industry at the time. The real estate industry happened and I'm broke. Right? So the industry collapsed and, you know, banks were shutting off our, our ability to run mortgage loans and so we still went through some trouble, you know, but the the baseline decision process came and centered back to that conversation of what what do we want things to look like, and so that's what helps make those decisions.
0: Out of interest, I mean, for you is is pressure for diamonds, or is it just bad planning? I'm sorry, is is pressure for diamonds? You know, just you know, you're saying about there with, you know, when banks are sort of. You know, holding back the credit lines. They're saying no, no, no more. Whatever. Some people excel in those moments of pressure, backs against the wall. Suddenly, you see them come out fighting and, and all the rest. Other people, it's just it's just bad planning. We shouldn't be here in the first place. And, and you know? Where, where would you yeah. think yourself?
1: You know, I think it. Um, I, I think it's both. I think there's two two sides to that coin, and I don't think either are right. I think. Uh, I think those of us who understand that pressure uh is there and and circumstances happen whether they're in or out of your control are there to teach you how to adapt right we're adaptable Uh, we're we're growth-minded people i think if you're a fixed-minded person you sit on the other side of that and you do some of the things we talked about earlier which is point fingers and you blame the government blame this person and this and it's the it's all those things but i think the growth-minded people understand that in every adversity is an opportunity and the question is, is how you want to approach it? So for me, we first had to figure out how we were going to keep the company afloat because we started losing credit lines. Not because, by the way, we had all these bad mortgages. Uh, people that are in the inside of the industry, when the banks collapse, they collapse. they just cut off the credit, period. Just one day you could fund a loan, the next day you couldn't. And so it was, it was a disaster. I'd never seen anything like it. And if you had read the fine print, you would have known that it was possible that they could just do that. But in the fine print, which nobody reads. They realized they can reduce your credit lines for no other reason other than they decided to, and so we got you know as, as a oh did I break up for a second?
0: We but we're okay, we're back.
1: I apologize. Yeah, so we learned the hard way, and so but back to your question, it's during that time of adversity, trial, pivoting, uh, you really find out what your capabilities are to handle the trouble of today with the goal and outcome of still being successful in the thing that you're working on. But at the same time, once we sort of, the waters started, by the way, they weren't calm by any means, let me be clear. It took a while for those waters to calm down. But I think when you get to a place where you see um, stability or you have a vision for how you're going to navigate through the water, uh, you know, again, I keep going back to Things that I've learned over the years and and you know Jim Rome said, <laughs> said, you know it's not the blowing of the wind that determines your destination, it's the set of the sail. And so when the winds blow, they blow on all of us. like not anyone in the in the world was was immune to that whole situation or the recent thing that we had called this pandemic, or what's happening right now in the world called inflation. All of us are going through it in some way, shape, or form. So the winds blow on all of us. The question is, is what do we want to do and how are we going to navigate the sail during the wind? And I think sometimes we wait too long to change the sail, right? I was going this way. Now the wind's blowing and I'm going this way. Oh, let me change the sail because I don't really want to go over there. So I think that's what I become tuned to. So in that window of time, I was able to sit back and say, okay, the sail's going a different direction than I thought we were going to go. What do I want to do now to change the sale? And Pete, I say this very candidly today, but let me tell you, it was a very rough 18 months. Let me be clear. Uh, I'm saying it with crystal clear, easy conversation today, but that is not how it transpired. That is not. Um, there was a lot of self-talk in there. There was a lot of work I had to do. I had to do a lot of you know, internal coaching, external coaching, getting feedback from friends, Uh, one of the most impactful things I think was ever said to me, uh, was a friend of mine who was passing through town and we just ended up in a random conversation and, and she said something that just was like, still stuck to me this day. And so you run across those things where you have to, um, I think vision for the future is, is what guides me. And, and I'm kind of one of those guys, you know, sure. What happened happened back there where we are today is where we are today. Cool. But okay, now where am I going from here? I call this part of my mind shift method, which is, okay, let's make peace with where we are today. Let's accept the facts for the facts, whatever those facts are, don't matter how they happen. Like, let's see how fast we can just get past the blaming and past the, well, the so-and-so or whoever. Let's deal with what the facts are today. And let's decide now step two, which is let's make a decision about what we want to do with these facts. How do we want to navigate, or as Jim Rohn would say, how do we want to change the sale. And so, um, and again, Pete, as you know, all of this is easier said than done when emotion is involved and people are involved and, you know, money is involved. And it's harder to do, but in theory, it comes back to just a really basic simple thing is like, okay, the facts are now the facts. And now what? Okay. Now what are we going to do? Great. Well now we need a plan. Okay, so we decided what we want to do or what we want our new outcome to look like or where we want the sale to go take us now. Well, now we need a plan. And sometimes that's where I say in step three of our method is a lot of times you don't you don't have a plan. You just don't have one. No one had a plan a few years ago when this little flu thing hit. <laughs> no one had a plan, right? You just got to figure it out. Like two 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 and a half years ago or just two years ago, just over two years ago, we got a new definition in my world uh, called essential and non-essential businesses now my company Pete serves what was deemed non-essential businesses (laughs) so all our clients were non-essential businesses as deemed by the new definition so my company starts losing money by the day because they were told they couldn't do business So they certainly don't need a marketing agency to grow new customers if they can't take in new customers. So we were losing contracts by the day for days, emails, every phone call was cancel, 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 or pause. It wasn't like they were mad at us. It was like, Hey, they told us we can't do it. So we can't keep paying you. And so the question is, is okay. Hmm. What's the, we can't change this. What do we do now? Oh, there's this group called essential businesses. Isn't that interesting? And while we never worked with them in the past, let's figure out if we can. And so now this plan is okay. How do we go reach them? And then you, of course, go into a plan of action, which is step four. And so again, it's a simple way to think about it, but harder to navigate sometimes, especially when
0: you're under pressure, stress, and duress. Mm. Well, in general, are are you pain driven or pleasure driven?
1: (laughs) I love the question. Oh my gosh, Pete! You know, for for me, um, I am pleasure driven. Uh, and I love the work. I talk about the pain pleasure principle all the time. I actually was a student of Tony Robbins, so I learned a lot about it. And um, and I can't cite the, um, the psychologist who first made that work famous at the moment, but um, I'd like to believe that I'm pleasure-driven. However, yeah, I would like to say that I'm pleasure-driven, but I just don't know if that's 100% in anyone's experience. I think there's a certain amount of, for example... I I deem myself a procrastinator. And that may sound strange, you know, when you read that bio that's all fancy and stuff at the beginning, which I hate writing those things, but when you read that bio, people would never imagine that I'm a procrastinator. And all through school when I was growing up, all through school, all through college, and still to this day, there is something about a deadline that makes me perform. If you give me nine months on a project, I will punt it. If, if I have 60 days on a project, I will punt it. I'm going tell you right now, I'm working on a campaign with some of my team and we have something coming up for June. I think it's June 2nd, a class that I'm teaching. It's a part of our coaching program. I haven't written a deck yet. It's May 9th. I got just short of a month. Pete, I'm going to tell you right now, that deck probably won't get written until the last week of the month. And it's just how I operate. It's how my brain works, Right. Someone else that I know needs 90 days to prepare that same two-hour presentation. And for, so I just, it's not right or wrong. And I don't know if that's pain <laughs> or my comfort zone. Um, but in in the example, um, I've learned some things. I've learned some of my best lessons in some of my worst pain. But I don't think I would want to sign up for pain like that ever again. And uh, to, to, to get to the lesson, I, I just would prefer to go down the pleasure path but i just think that's not the
0: way it was designed when we came mm-hmm. here so I kind of call it the, like it's, it's like the arsonist firefighter it's like you you set the building on fire and yeah deadline i had 90 days i left it nine hours before panic 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 i i hit my zone of genius amazing things come out because i have no time for anything else and then they sort of go yeah look what i did isn't it amazing and you're yeah. like so you're the firefighters, like, yeah, but you also set fire to the building in the first place. So we're not- I
1: lit it. I turned it up. I, I lit the match. <laughs> <laughs> my friend, my, my friend, and she's a business coach, and she actually coaches around the area of procrastination with high-level people. And she said to me on my show, if I'm not mistaken, she said, don't let anyone try to crucify you because you're a procrastinator. She goes, have you ever done poor quality work by waiting until the last minute? And I said, "Not that I know of." She goes, "Have you ever failed to deliver on your promise because you waited till whatever that point was?" She drilled me on six questions as a coach, and she, and I, I, I my, all my answers led her to say, "Then that's how you're wired, and don't let anyone else try to make you." Because you know, I get the whole, you know, if if you're not, you know, my better half, my she, we have to be somewhere thirty hour, thirty minutes early, or we're late. And I'm just fine getting there on time. Like I'm just fine, and you know, I'll I'll be Pete, the one who lets the occasional traffic cause us to be five minutes late. You know, but she, we just have a different accord. And you know, she said everyone who tells you that, and and I've had business partners the same thing. You know, I I get ridiculed, you know, because I'm kind of the on time guy. But so I've just, I am who I am, and uh, you know, because I have the DNA of putting out quality work, I just seem to work under that kind of you know, I don't call it pressure. Even it doesn't feel like pressure to me. That's the thing. It just seems like my brain flows when I know it's got to be done by a, a certain time. I don't know if that makes a lot of sense, but I'm sure there's other people on the planet that kind of work like me. I don't know.
0: No, it's uh, I get it. I mean, do you, do, do you, do you know yourself? Do you like yourself? Do you love yourself? Or where, where are you at with yourself?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I, I love myself, except that I'm always critical of, um, I'm always critical that I don't know what it is and this is something I struggle with sometimes and is could I have done more? Could I have done better? And no one's mad either. You know, no one's even upset. No one's even saying I did it's just me, the internal self-dialogue of of driving and sometimes I got to be super careful because that driving can come across to other folks as and I was told this in in a program that I was in. And uh, acknowledged it and wrote it down and and literally said I needed to work on it. To others, she says, it comes across. Um, and I'm trying to think of the exact words she told me, but 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 her words meant something to me. She was a trusted person and she had observed me in settings. And she says, it it, it can come across rude, it can come across demanding even though my intentions were anything of the sort. And so the feedback, I can't remember exactly the feedback, but it was one of those things where I'm also very open to when other people have observed and they have positive feedback, negative feedback, critical feedback, um, just feedback corrective that says, hey, have you, have you considered? I love when someone says, have you considered? And that's been one of my favorite coaching phrases, which is not to tell someone they're doing something wrong, but have they considered the possibility of doing it a different way? Or have they considered the possibility that the way it came across was this and it's helped me be a better coach. It's helped me be a better leader. Um, by no means, again, I'm always working on me. Like, I feel like I've been working on me for 30 years and I'll probably do that until I leave uh, this place, uh, because it's, I never think I've got it right.
0: Have you considered what you're capable of? <laughs> um, If I, if I
1: understand the question or if I understand the context of it, I am, I'm not the person who's always trying to shoot for the moon anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, you might've deducted that from, you know, I own a company today that could we do a hundred million? Yeah, we could. Do I want to? I don't know. If we, if we get the right ingredients in place, would I want to go for it possibly. Um, so, so I, there was a time in my twenties and thirties when I was always the guy who wanted to shoot for the moon, boom, 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 go, go, go. But also in doing so also found myself out of balance at times, which have led to this last 10, 12 year discovery and realizing that, um, what is it all for? What does it mean? What does it mean? Like what actually matters like ultimately that's the question, those are the questions that I started sitting with. And so um, so yeah, I think it's changed my perspective a little bit, but uh, what am I capable of? Yeah, I'm capable of a lot. I've done a lot and I'm sure I'm capable of a lot more. I just don't know if I identify um, certain targets as it relates to my capabilities. I think for me, um, capability for me is is, how can I be a better leader to the team that supports our company? How can I create pathways that give them excitement to show up every day? How can I be in genuine relationship with my family, my good community in, in a few areas that I serve in the community? Those capacities think are the things that I think about. Um, I'm not saying I don't have other things I want to accomplish as an entrepreneur. I do. As an investor, I do. Um, But I just don't, I don't know. I I just don't, I don't know if I think about some of those things that I used to think about as much as I used to. And I just kind of, you know, I refocused and it does seem to open up other opportunities, of course. But um, yeah, I mean, I thought about it. I mean, you you have to self-talk yourself into that you're capable of doing something. Otherwise, you just don't do things for 30 years. Like being an entrepreneur for 30 years, I don't take that for granted. It's been hard. It's been good. It's been it's been good, bad, and ugly all at the same time. I wouldn't have traded it for the world and I wouldn't trade it for the next 30 to 40, 50 years, however long I, I get the opportunity to keep doing it.
0: It's it's funny, earlier you talked about the procrastination and um, you know sometimes, and there's a good expression, always, you know, a good good uncle of mine always used the saying sometimes your weakness is your strength and that's what makes you stronger when you realize the things you're weak at you know, you talk about procrastination, but yet people would maybe say that's, that's a foreign word. I wouldn't associate that with Daryl. But is that because we know ourselves better? Does that make sense?
1: I, I think so. I mean, i I'm perfectly fine in it. I, I don't let any, if anybody says it's a weakness to me, I it just, first of all, no one really says it anymore, but you know, I've heard it a few times and, and I hear it every now and then, but you know, I think our weaknesses can um, catapult us to our greatest strengths if if we are able to find um, comfort in who we are uniquely, right? I mean, I think I've, I don't try to be anybody else but me. And so if someone's giving me feedback that maybe my weakness is not, you know, uh, You know, another great example of this whole understanding who you are is when I do speeches and, you know, I don't typically do going back to that whole PDF deck thing, I don't do decks the way people do decks. I don't like decks. I don't like doing PDFs and PowerPoints and all this other stuff. And so I put very little on them and I speak based off of one or two concepts on the page with an image, if that, and I let it run. I don't, you won't get bullet points from me. So some people think of that as like, yeah, that's not good enough. So. I don't know. I love I love figuring out what I'm weak at, but at the same time being careful not to overjudge whether it's a weakness because my own strength is my own strength. My individuality is my individuality. Um, I think you see it best in artists, Pete, in, in musical artists and, and, and artists artists with art and paint. And I think creatives get the freedom to have their uniqueness show up in their craft. Musicians are one that for me just uh is one i love because i just love music my daughter's an artist uh, one of my daughters is artists and their their uniqueness is theirs and if you try to get them to fit into a box or to a mold you, you'll you destroy their art you destroy who they are and i think that rolls that over to us in the world of business and all other aspects of life to be quite honest
0: which is which comes across as a slight dichotomy right because part of you as you said you're a self-confessed you're you know. Right. Your numbers guy, you know, finance in the background, but then it's it's the it's the creative side. It's the going yeah. up with, going up without the deck, going out going up without the structure. Yeah, you be creative. So it's
1: do you know what I mean? Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent, man. So you and we grew up learning this left brain, right brain idea: left brain logical, right brain creative. And what's really interesting is when I when I've done personality assessments or. I love the Colby index, which is what I use in my world. And, and a lot of times I, I rely on that more than personality indexes. Uh, but in all of the things, you'll find that um, I, I, that's who I am. Like I, it's, it's who I am. I am the numbers guy in a sense that I'm a results guy. I'm not the guy who sit back to do, even though I have a finance degree, I found that I wasn't the guy to sit back and be running spreadsheets all day and run in formulas all day, that wasn't me. But you show me some numbers, I can find the problem as it relates to what I do. You show me the numbers, you show me the thing and I'll find the gap. In my world of digital, what does that mean? Like in my world, for example, someone can open up their Facebook ads account or their Google ads account or their Google search console and I can find, without a spreadsheet, I can just look at the numbers and I can find the problem or the area of challenge where we need to focus our effort or where we need to provide the coaching. And I don't know, I, I say <laughs> I, I say, in my world it's, some of it is instinctual, but at the end of the day, it's it's just having done the reps longer than most. I've just done the reps longer than most. Remember, I started with numbers in my teens, in my 20s. Let me, let's just say even at, at 20, I'm now responsible for KPI. So I've been kind of a KPI guy, even though we didn't call them KPIs when the rest, they just said, call in and give us these four numbers (laughs) or whatever the number was. Um, And that meant I was being held to account on those items. Well, then those numbers, they didn't get there just because the report printed it. It was activity through the day that led to those numbers. So if any of those numbers were out of whack, I had to go back into the world of operations and figure out, what could have happened recount inventory do those things so it was always a refinement process around the numbers but it led to the activity which is interesting because i kind of think about the work that we do and, and the work that i do both as a coach and as an agency owner we're always in this sort of flywheel mentality it starts with data like what does the data tell us number two it's analyzing the data to see is it good is it bad is it off number is it on par is it over? Is it above expectation? Number three is then, okay, based on the data and the and, and the analysis, what do we plan to do next? And then we go into an execution cycle. And then that process, re- it just continues. It's a flywheel, if you will. That's how we get our clients' results in the world of marketing and, and, and digital growth and sales. That's how we do things in the world of personal development. That's how we do things in the world of growth. It's not, it's not anything I've created. It's just having been mindful of that simple formula and uh, so when i say i'm a numbers guy um you know if i'm waiting to the last minute to do a presentation part of it is saying i only need what is the minimum viable thing i need to give them to get them to the result they want do, does it need to be a 200 deck slide uh presentation or could i get away with 32 slides and sometimes the that window of allowing yourself to have too much bandwidth for me means I try to say too much. And I'm guilty of that. I've, I've been told that in the past, I've been guilty of, of um, taking too long to say what could be said shorter. So brevity has become a little bit of a, uh, it's been something I've been working on the last couple of years. So uh, I don't know if that answers the question all the way through, but.
0: um... No, it's always, it is interesting the way we sort of, as you said, it's, I don't know what's springing to mind is sort of the Ikigai process. You know, there's certain things we're passionate about, but then there's also certain things we're good at. I mean, if you're good at the numbers and you understand the numbers to the point of almost teaching, as you said earlier, but then you sort of mix that with a passion that you can kind of go, I, don't, I know I've got the numbers as a fallback, or I know that's the baseline, but actually I can create from a different place, which is which is powerful. I think it, it shows a lot of um, quite, quite a, an evoluted way of thinking, you know, which, because it also, because your language changes as you talk, you know, you have a mixture of kinesthetic and visual language. And that's, that's the one thing that throws me slightly, you know, as well. So <laughs> it's almost like there's, there's two brains at work. It's a problem. Yeah. It's, I'm a problem child, Pete. I'm a problem. <laughs> I, I
1: identify as a kin- an audio kinesthetic. I, I, that's how I identify. Um, and I'm very fascinated by the work in NLP and, and understanding how to have human communication and nonverbal communication and I spent a lot of time working with people that are from all different sorts of ways that they like to process information. And the, for me, I, I, I do bounce around in, in that re- regard, but I do identify as kind of an audio kinesthetic. Um, I, I think audio books, when they came out, they saved my life. Like I love books and, but just the time to sit down and read them sometimes just didn't you know, so putting an audio book in and I had to actually question whether or not I was picking up as much from the audio book as I would when I read the book. And I wondered, you know, and they stay, they seem to say that, um, that you do. And so, um, but that's, that's how I resonate. That's how I identify, I identify as an audio kinesthetic, mm. put my hands on it and let's, let's do it.
0: When you, when you feature pace, it's, it's visual language I've noticed. And I'm wondering, is that, is, are you sort of, on the visualization side, the imagination side, is, is that a bit of a strength for you? I,
1: I am, I, yeah. I mean, I think if you're going to see, I think if you're gonna have levels of success, especially in business, you have to be able to see things other people can't see. Mm-hmm. And I think that part of my brain, uh, right now I'm, I'm working through some things in, in our world as an agency with what has happened now since the, uh, the pandemic and the, the sort of springboard Of a conversation that i've been having for 12 years with businesses but now today it's more pressing it's more of an emergency now for clients to get their businesses online for from an acquisition standpoint a visibility standpoint and so you know you get locked down and that changes your perspective but at the same time our industry is facing probably the most rapid growth of new competitors coming into the space and my company has been around for 12 years and We all know what happens with companies who've been good for a while, who get too complacent. Like we could talk about a few of those names. You probably know, right. You get washed up. Like you weren't even there to begin with. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I started questioning some things a few years ago, even before the pandemic. And that is the, just the whole idea of what the agency business model is to the consumer, to, to our small business clients, small and mid-sized clients. And so I just began questioning what was wrong with it all. And through conversations with clients and whatnot, um, but yeah, me being able to to envision the direction that we're heading in now, which right now we're going through a restructure and envisioning where the market's going to go. And so I, I very much consider myself a visionary in that regard and being able to see or feel or sense things that are not yet there. Um, I sense from my growing up, I carry a bit of discernment towards uh, aspects of where the future could go and what's happening. I'm not trying to you know, say that cars are going to fly or anything like that. But I think in the areas that which I'm gifted at, I can, I can call that certainly one of my, um, strengths as a, uh, as an entrepreneur and maybe as a leader and trying to communicate that, I think is one of the core aspects of being a good leader is being able to communicate your vision in a way that your people understand it, though they're not a visionary. And can they get excited by the way you communicate it? I think everyone would know about Steve jobs and how he was able to communicate when he came back to Apple um i really take that to heart can i communicate what i'm thinking in a way that helps my now team who's executing on what we deliver today in a future state of awareness and how they could help us move to that direction and i'm i'm always trying to work on that because i am i've been thinking about things for 3 or 4 years that you know we are just now starting to 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 move towards And I think the pandemic was one of those, uh, things that sped that up. So
0: for for you, I mean, what's, what's your sort of investor profile? Are you more of a gambler or saver style? You know, what, where do you (laughs) say?
1: Gambler. I mean, (laughs) no, I mean, I'm just saying, I mean, I have, I don't know. I, yeah, I'm a risk taker for sure. Um, I'm a risk taker and, and it seems like I should maybe be backing off of that a bit, um, you know, I'm 52 this year. And, but yeah, I mean, there is an aspect of me that is super safe though, uh, Pete, but I think if you, if I had to, if I took a test on it, you're going to find me on the risk taker. I don't like gambling as much as, as the word I live in Las Vegas, by the way. So, you know, in the sense of, I don't gamble in Vegas, actually, you know, I, I did in my twenties, but Mm -hmm. you know, maybe early thirties, but I don't gamble anymore. Uh, in that regard, like I'm not just trying to take, uh, the chance of it all. Like I think of it as, strategic. So for me, one of the things we're betting on, if you will, to use the phrase, is a change in the business model of being willing to work with companies that have great growth potential, but who have been burned or less satisfied by the results of other agencies that they'd worked with in the past, but yet they haven't gotten to the result. And they come to me with this angst or frustration Or hesitation, walls are up because they've invested dollars in other places and the result didn't happen. And I just began to say, and to your point of gambling, what if we just didn't get paid until the client got the result? And when we got paid, we would get paid more than if they paid us the flat fee on the front end. That's the model that I'm changing. We have. It, it's So it's one of those things where why would I do that when I'm 12 years in the business? I got proof that we work. I got proof that it works. I've got proof through all the case studies. We've grown companies by what you said in the beginning of the show. Why should I want to even consider that? Like that would be something a rookie would do. Like someone who's just getting started. But counterintuitively, I'm going the other way and saying, no, we're going we're gonna to invite this conversation to the right companies because it helps us do a few things. It helps us scale without dealing with the bandwidth because in my business, I'm a human capital business, which means I've always got to be recruiting people and in people come breakdowns and structure and systems it just a lot to do. What if, what if we could take on less clients and make more money actually, but we took on some of the risk and we're not talking about becoming their partner, like structurally by corporate, but, what if we had skin in the game reduced their friction and resistance to wanting to partner with us and if we were not 100 percent certain that we could help them we wouldn't even do the deal that's how i began thinking you know because in my world there are you know there's no shortage of people globally that finish an online course at the hubspot academy or udemy.com or linkedin learning or share a skill and all of a sudden they are digital marketing experts they set up a facebook account and went through the facebook blueprint course no disrespect to the courses and the material but th- the client wants execution and i just don't believe that and they want results they don't they don't they don't even know who to trust and i hear this because we've got so many people that come we get 20,000 visitors a, we- uh, a month to our website we generate Plenty of leads for me to see what the problem is, what people are afraid of, what they're concerned with. And so I said, well, what if we decided to do something counterintuitive? And so that's something one little glimpse of something that we're doing, which again, visioning vision, envisioning a way for us to separate ourselves from a crowded red ocean marketplace, uh, blue ocean, uh, blue ocean strategy book was huge for me. 2004 ish five ish. When I read it really just gave me some different perspectives on how to separate yourself from the competitors without just constantly beating on the same thing. Well, we've got this many results and we've been doing it this long and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I call them platitudes. Like when you brag about stuff that you're supposed to be good at, you're not, that's not a unique differentiator, Mm -hmm. right? Well, we've been in business 12 years. Okay. Well, we're certified by all the things under HubSpot because we're a HubSpot partner. Okay. You know what I mean? All the things, right? We provide great customer service. Okay. Like those are, are those really differentiating factors? And so in the world, when things are getting truly commoditized, at least from the consumer standpoint, meaning the business owners and the people that hire us, they see digital marketers everywhere. And the problem is they're actually called 32 different things. And that even makes it worse. What the heck are they? Well, they're copywriters. Well, they're creative writers or they're content marketers. The video markers, their bloggers, their social media managers, their social media advertising folks, their Facebook ads. You get where I'm going. Like, what the heck are you? <laughs> I never seen an industry that has more designations. And so, in, in some of that, we, we say all that to say gambling smartly. And the gamble is am I good enough to build a team who could pull it off? Am I good enough to build a team? that believes, and by the way, I'm the only one taking the risk because they get paid. Mm. My job is to find the people who can operate under those assumptions, even though they're going to get paid. I'm the only one who doesn't get paid if it don't work. They're still going to get paid. This is not a team where everybody's on commission or anything like that. This is like literally, could I, could I build a model where I'm comfortable in our company's profitability and my team's execution and our strategy And then our ability to bring in only the right clients into this program and that's what i mean by so that's maybe a long-winded version of why i would say maybe that's the gambling in me Mm. because i don't have to do it It, but it's
0: you don't have to but you get to not i get to correct 100 percent. i love that phrase you're absolutely right get to yeah real game changer i love it i love it i i do want to be respectful of time because i know you have commitments but um thank you yeah really it's well a couple of things what's a bit of a guilty pleasure for (laughs) daryl
1: um ice cream
0: what's what's your go-to in the ice cream world
1: yeah it's called blue it's called blue bunny yeah uh it's a little it's a brand called blue bunny and um the uh the the um the the flavor is called um oh geez what's the flavor Anyway, it's it's a brand that I get for it's they're in little cups, so I, they're individual cups. They're two dollars and fifty cents a cup, and uh, they're six hundred calories, uh, a good fifty grams of sugar per cup. It's just enough for me to get in trouble with, but not enough for me to overindulge. And uh, I'll have one of those every few weeks, and uh, every now and then I'll get caught up with a couple of them a week, and and it, but I can't let that go too far. But that's definitely one of my uh, one of my guilty pleasures. Love it
0: what's something that not many people know about you
1: um i've been asked that question a number of times um i'm gonna pull one out that uh, i was a yo-yo champion in my uh younger years going through summer camp i used to love the yo-yo and ping pong and so we used to go to these summer camps and i mean i was fascinated by all the tricks with the yo-yo and uh, for whatever reason i could play ping pong pretty well so We had these little competitions, our summer camp group against this other school summer camp group. One of the funnest things I've ever done in my life was, was those years doing those summer camps. Mm -hmm. And, um, so ping pong and, and I was a yo-yo champion at one, at one point. So uh, matter of fact, my granddaughter had a yo-yo just a few weeks ago and, uh, (laughs) I was trying to pull off some tricks, (laughs) but I couldn't remember. But,
0: uh, yeah, so that's kind of one fun thing. Oh, I love it. Love it. So tell us, if you were to try and describe your fire in your belly in one or two words, Daryl, what would they be? Can I give you three? Sure.
1: Positively impacting lives. It's been a mission statement of mine. It's, uh, I was actually in a seminar and the seminar leader said, come up with your mission statement in less than five words. And, um, that's what, that's what came out of me. And that has been in the back of my mind. It's, you know, I kind of indicated it a little bit at the beginning of the show, but those three words probably matter as much to me as anything, as anything I do. I want to be, uh, I I just want to have a a good impact on the people that are around me in my life one way or the other. And if I don't do that, I, I try to fix that as quick as I possibly can.
0: Tell us, where can people reach out? Where can people learn more about you? Where can they hunt you down, stalk you, any of the above? Yeah, yeah, it's great. I appreciate uh, being here, uh, Pete. Appreciate
1: the conversation. Great questions, insightful, uh, making me really think about some things that I've never been asked before. So I, I've enjoyed this immensely. Uh, but yeah, for for your listeners, if they're listening uh, on the podcast, uh, I have a podcast, as Pete mentioned. It's called The Mindshift Podcast. So on whatever player that you're listening to Pete's show, Uh, Just uh, look up the MindShift podcast and uh, check out a few shows. And if you like our interviews, we have interview shows as well as we have short segments on Mondays um, where I'm teaching a couple of ideas. Uh, Be happy to have you listen to our show. And then if you want to connect with me personally, uh, you can find all things Daryl over at Darylevans.net and that'll lead you to the agency or to me coaching or whatever, whatever might be of your interest. So Pete, appreciate you uh, letting me share that. And uh, thank you again for having me on the show.
0: It's a pleasure. Is there a final message you'd like to leave with our listeners today?
1: Keep listening to Pete's show because, um, he asks some very insightful questions. And from a person who runs a podcast himself, who prides himself on being a good interviewer, I have just met my match. Uh, Pete, you are fantastic. And, uh, obviously there's probably not enough time for me to listen to all your shows. I did listen to a couple leading into our conversation, just so I could understand you and your your interview style. Uh, but I can tell that you've got this uh, this spirit of of giving and spirit of um, open sharing, and that was evident in our connection when we first got ready to book this show. So, without being long winded, um, keep listening to Pete's show because he's he's asking great questions that are just not typical, and and uh, I've enjoyed being here and ho- and hopefully he he's he's pulling out some of the best insights from some of his guests because today I've answered questions I never thought I'd ever answer.
0: Awesome. awesome. Wow! I'm, I'm in awe. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> that has been an absolute pleasure. I uh, thank you for your time. I thank you for your contribution here and, and really sort of just sharing and being, being present with us. So thank you for that. And listen, I wish you the best of luck and hopefully our paths will cross again soon.
1: Likewise, Pete. Thank you again for having me. Thank
0: you. Well, that was another great episode of Fire in the Belly. You know, this really wouldn't be possible without a great guest taking the time to share their personal journeys. And by the way, sometimes it is personal. It's an absolute pleasure to have that and then to hear the journeys that the people have been on. We've loads more episodes coming up soon and it's always a pleasure to have guests on. If you do happen to know anyone with true fire in their belly, please reach out to us so we can share their journey, lessons and successes. So all that's left to say is have a great day, live with fire in your belly and be the mightiest version of you.